carry lots of things with them. I used to carry a lot of stuff in my purse, and I would be like, oh, it's because we're youth pastors, and we need Band-Aids, and we need ibuprofen, and we need all these things, and now I have a baby, and I have a really big purse and a diaper bag, so I really have no excuse now. I just like to carry a lot of things. I like to have a Barney bag, so we just want to welcome you again tonight. We don't welcome you a ton of times because we're trying to be, you know, just overly blah. We welcome you every time someone gets up here because we're really excited that each and every one of you are here tonight. To see each of your faces, it means something to us. Um, So we're excited to have you tonight. I'll probably say it again five more times. But um, if you don't know who I am, um, if this is your first service here or it's your watching live, um, my name is Stephanie White and uh, my husband is Pastor Justin White. And we moved in August of 2015 to Suffolk area. We actually live technically in Chesapeake to plant this campus of City Life Church, and this is the third campus of City Life, so we're super privileged to be here. We were really nervous when it came to uh, planting the third campus. It was new territory for us, um, but we know that God moves and God stretches us in new territory and new seasons, so we've been blown away by each of you guys. We've been blown away by your support. We've been blown away that we've all grown together, and we feel like we kind of grew up at City Life, and so um, to be leading you guys is really special to us. So if um, you are writing down a sermon title tonight, um, the long version is Choosing to Live Wild, Unhindered, and Hopeful in a World of Unknowns. So if you're writing something down tonight, you can just put Wild, Unhindered, and Hopeful. And I'm just going to pray before I even say anything before I speak anything to you guys. I just want to um, pray over tonight and just pray that God would open our hearts, that each and every one of us, man, woman, child, teenager in here tonight would um, receive something from God. So I'm just going to pray. God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you that you knew that each of us would be here, right in this building, right in this room, right in the seat that we're in for Mother's Day. And we thank you that, God, you're moving in each of us, that you're teaching us, that you're showing us about your goodness, you're showing us about your grace. So, God, we just ask tonight that our hearts would be open. God, that any walls that we've built up that are are in relation to Mother's Day or in relation to being a mother or our mothers that raised us or any of those things, God, God, that you would just start to make a little um, part in our hearts, God, that you would start to just crack that door open so that you can come and speak tonight. So we just ask that you be glorified tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So again, if you're writing it down for a title, it's Wild, Unhindered, and Hopeful. So for me, being up here tonight and sharing is really special. Um, It's special for everybody Mother's Day. Um, This is my first Mother's Day that I'm actively walking out mothering in a day-to-day um, basis. I think a lot of us are mothers before we're mothers. I think motherhood is, um, it's not just a, a, it's not just one season of life. It's a really long season of life. You step into motherhood before you're a mother because God's preparing your heart. If you're an adoptive mother, if you're a birth mother, those are all different seasons of motherhood. And so if you're here tonight and you are, um, you're not in the season of actively walking out motherhood, or your children are older and they're out of the house. You know, there's so many different seasons. I just want to encourage you that I'm here to speak to you tonight. I'm not here to just speak just to moms that are have toddlers right now. You know, I'm here to speak to everyone tonight. And um, so a little bit about our journey of me stepping into seasons of motherhood. When I stood on this stage last year, it was, what is our, what month are we in? May? Um, I'm obviously, I am a toddler mom now, so I'm trying to keep track of time here. 
but um, it was May of last year, and we did not yet know um, what our journey in parenthood would look like. So we had been in an adoption process with Ethiopia for several years, and a lot of you walked that journey with us. A lot of you gave financially. A lot of you poured your hearts out and cried with us and prayed with us. And that season of life, it felt a little cruel, um, if I'm being honest. You know, we poured into this country, you know, we prayed over this country, we felt like it was the place that God had for us. It was the child that was going to be in our family was in Ethiopia. And so, you know, come four years later, we were told by our adoption agency that it was going to be another four to five years. Um, they kept, what the, the term they used was with the trend of increasing. So they would say, oh, one to two years with the trend of increasing three to four years with the trend of increasing. And by the time we um, pulled out of that program, it was four to five years with the trend of increasing to even see a face of a child in an email. Um, that was before traveling to the country two times, possibly more, depending on the, the judge and how they felt about you. And I mean, let's just be honest, it was, it was based on their reaction to your case and to your child and to if they had all the paperwork, if your child was paper ready or not. And um, so we were approached by our agency in February of last year and told we could either stay with Ethiopia and it would be another four to five years or possibly not ever um, if they were truly honest with us and they shared that with us probably they weren't supposed to, but they wanted to give us a realistic expectation. Um, Inter-country relations with Ethiopia were getting more complicated, uh, more red tape was being put up. And so kind of our options were domestic adoption, or for, for our agency, not just in general for adoption. So it was domestic adoption or India, um, which we didn't want to come to this place of like, oh, well, we had to adopt from here. So this is what we did. We wanted to have chosen and God to have led, you know, us to this country. And um, so we didn't feel like when we switched, it was a hard decision. We didn't feel like we were just giving up on a program. We felt like we were giving up on a country. We felt like we were giving up on a child that God had, specifically asked us to wait for. So that wasn't a decision we made lightly in any way. And little did we know, you know, the plans that God had, that all the things that would roll into place right from that moment we made that decision, um, right when we stepped into obedience. And it didn't make sense to us, and it was confusing, but we stepped into that moment thinking we could wait four to five years to hold a child, but then there's children in India right now that need to be held, that need to be loved, that need to have a mom and a dad. And so we made that decision, and it wasn't long after that. So May, I spoke for Mother's Day, and then July, we got a referral. So a referral basically is a picture or a few pictures of a child, their medical needs, whatever records they have on them, and then you have to go to the doctor and get, like, an approval before you say yes, because obviously we're emotional beings, and we, as soon as you see a picture of a baby, it doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what's going on with their lives. You're, you want to say yes. And... um. So I remember standing in Home Depot, and our agent, um, our coordinator called, and she said, can we get your husband on the line? I want to talk to you guys about something really important. And I was like, oh, my gosh. The way she was speaking, it sounded like, like we weren't going to be able to adopt anymore, that something had come up, that rules had changed, that Ethiopia had closed down international adoption, or, or India had closed down too. Like, I was freaking out, honestly. And then she says that she has a child that she thinks may belong to our family. And this child was not supposed to belong to us um, in the way of the world looking at it. But um, 
this director because she had the Holy Spirit in her life. She, she, we weren't in the next in line. We weren't the next people. We, we were days, we were not just days away from getting a referral. We were weeks. We were months away from getting a referral. And she said, I really feel like this child could be your child. And so I remember praying to God, please don't let me fall in love with this child if this is not the one. Please don't let me fall in love with him. And those of you that have seen Raj, like, when I saw his picture, oh, I mean, I said out loud, this is our baby. This is our baby. And I was ugly crying and laughing in the cleaning supplies aisle of Home Depot. And it was a beautiful moment for me. Um, But I say all that to say that we lost almost $8,000 to the program of Ethiopia. Some of that went to transition homes and to orphanages, and that's amazing. Some of that was legal fees and fingerprinting fees and a myriad of things. But that wasn't just our money. That was you guys' money. That was our parents and our family, people that had given, and it was a hard decision. Um, But then as we started to see the adoption process just move along and move along, we we're told so many times it doesn't happen this fast. We were told in country when we were in India that by someone in the, actually the embassy, um, I've never seen a case go this fast. And it was just so clear that God had parted the waters, that had, he had moved mountains for this child to be in our house at the time he is now. We had complications with visas. I was supposed to get a 10-year visa. I got a three-month visa. And they labeled me a journalist because of some technicality stuff about my job. So I would always be in that country as a journalist, which was not a good thing to be in that country as an American. Um, So I was, needless to say, I was supposed to be getting a 10-year visa. I got three months. So God did what could have been done in 10 years before three months even hit. So we had someone specifically pray, Marina actually, at our small group one week, um, that we would travel before the VC even expired. And in my mind, I remember thinking, oh, it would take a miracle. And I've seen miracles in my life. I believe in miracles. But for me, in that moment, I just thought, there's no way. There's just no way. Um, but that's what God did. He did a miracle, and he, um, he parted the waters for our son and, and for us. And our first part of our adoption journey was really hard, and he made the second part so easy. Sometimes I feel guilty about how easy Raj is. Like, he just fits in our family. Like, we're not having a lot of the, the issues that, you know, some adoptive parents walk through, and it makes me feel guilty sometimes, but I feel like it's a joy to be able to see a child and just know this is our child. You know, I felt from the moment I saw his picture, this is our son, and I still feel that to this moment. There's not a moment where I haven't felt connected to him, and that is a true blessing because if you've ever walked through adoption or, or, or uh, walked through foster care, there's a connection that has to be made, and that you can't fake that. And I feel like I haven't had to fake that, and I'm so thankful for that. So I could talk about my son, and I could talk about all this all night long, um, but I want to hear from you guys. So I was going to ask you something that was a little conspicuous, and then I realized we were going to be on Facebook Live, and I think uh, I don't want to burn, I don't want you guys to burn any bridges that you've built with, rebuilt with family or, or make you feel conspicuous, so I'm not going to ask that question. I'll ask it for you later just for you to think to yourself. So, um, so we ask ourselves, you know, what or whom is a mother? So the noun of a mother is a woman in relation to her child or children. So the verb is to bring up a child with care and affection or to give birth to. I think some of you can probably relate to that second part 
more than you can relate to the first part. Um, yes, my mom gave birth to me, but I'm not sure about the care and affection part. I didn't ever really feel that much care and affection for my mom. Um, some of, for some of you, that's your story, or for some of you, that was your story, and you've, you've built relationships um, back up. You know, you've built bridges with your, with your family back up. Um, and that's why I didn't want to ask that question, because for some of you, that word brings up not great feelings about yourself, about your mother, about mother figures in your life, about foster care. Um, So the question I'm going to ask you is more fun. And it's, uh, what is your worst, like, you know, there's mom fails, there's Pinterest fails, there's just fails, like, I failed this day. Or what is your worst, if you could just share, like, a really quick, I'll share mine so you kind of get an example. What's your worst, like, just fail? Mine was, we got a birthday cake for Raj that was a ice cream cake, and I put it in the fridge for his first birthday. He wasn't actually here. We wanted to celebrate. And I put it in the fridge. Ice cream fridge doesn't really pan out, so I went to go get it. I was so excited to show Justin, and it was just melted all down into the fridge and pooling down chocolate. But the top of it was perfect. It still said, happy first birthday, Raj. So that was my first mom fail. So is anyone brave enough to share one of your, Emily? silently abusing your child and he was just like "Eh, eh." anybody else Steph So you're like, I'm throwing a party for Mark and for Jeremy and for Peter. They're like, whose child does she actually have? Rose, speak loud. (laughs) So they broke the vinata open and there was nothing. Just broken pieces of this poor donkey. They have, they have cool pinatas now, too. Like, I see a pinata on clearance at Target, and I'm about to plan a whole party around that pinata just because there's a pinata on clearance, and Justin knows all about this. All right. Well, I know we have a lot more moments we could share, but I'm going to um, move on so that I don't keep talking and talking and talking about fun moments. Um, but I just want to say to you guys tonight that I remember being where a lot of you are at tonight of being in an awkward place, of feeling like Mother's Day, like, I really don't want to go to church, but I know I have to, because if I don't go, then people will know I'm not going, because I want to be a mom, but I'm not a mom yet. Just this awkward place, and for some of you, the awkward place isn't about stepping into a season of motherhood. For some of you, it's about being a new mom again. It's about um, your children that aren't in the house anymore, or there's children in your life that you feel like you were close to, and you're not close to anymore. So for each of us, or or there, there's a mom in your life or your, your mother that, um, that's not living anymore. And that's, I mean, when you talk about Mother's Day, yes, you want to celebrate, but in those times, it's hard to celebrate. In Mother's Day, that word, that weekend, that, um, that day can bring up a lot of emotion and a lot of heartache. 
Um, so I just want to say to you tonight that I'm not going to talk to you or like at you or around you. I just want to share with you tonight my journey because um, we're all in a different place. We're all in a different season of motherhood. And um, it's okay to feel how you feel right now. However you're feeling, you're sitting here tonight, it's okay to feel that way. So I just want to say that to you tonight. Um, and I want to ask you the question that don't say these things out loud because you might put yourself in a bad position. Um, of what feelings does that word bring up for you, mom, mother, mama, um, about your mother or yourself? Does it bring up disappointment or joy? Does it bring up anger or happiness? Maybe for some of us, it's a lot of those things. Um, Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's fear. Um, So for each of you, however you're feeling about those things tonight, I just want you to know that's okay. It's okay to feel the way that you're feeling right now. Um, So not all of us are mothers, we all have a mother. Um, we all came from somewhere, whether we're connected with that person or not. We all came from a mom. So and we all actually have the same origins down to two people, down to one woman, and that woman's name is Eve. So I'm going to share with you from Genesis 2:21 through 25. It says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. And then later on in verse 25, it goes on to say, um, Adam Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And I don't know about you, but I can't imagine that. I can't imagine being naked and feeling no shame. I mean, most of us have dreams, really nightmares about being naked somewhere. Like, I want to share mine, but it, I, I won't share it because we could just, it could get really weird in here. You can know too much about me and we could just find out too much about each other and that could be too weird for us. But we've all had those dreams. You're like either trying to pull off a shirt as pants or you're, you're told, like trying to hide behind a shelf in Walmart or something. Like, we've all had those nightmares and they're, they're never a good feeling. You wake up and you're in cold sweats. It's not a good feeling. You want to be clothed in the presence of other people. Maybe not in your own home, but in the presence of other people you would like to be clothed. So um, there's a book called Wild and Free that I have maybe gotten a quarter of the way through, maybe half. Does anyone else read like a fourth to a half of a book and then start another book because it looks really good and you're like halfway through 25 books? Okay, good. I'm not alone. So I start these books and I'm like, this is going to change my life. I'm going to read it every night. This is the only thing I'm going to do. And then I want to go to bed because I take too long to do other things. And then I try to decide, should I, if I don't brush my teeth, maybe I could read. Or if I don't do this, maybe I could read. And then I always want to brush my teeth. So I do that. But there's the first quote. Um, and this is from, this one is from Jess Connolly. And I actually speak a lot from this book tonight. It was one that was really impactful in me writing this sermon. Um, there's two ladies that wrote this book. The first is Jess and the second is Haley. So it's two different women that are very different in personality. So it gives you kind of a perspective of someone that's super outgoing and then someone that's super introverted, and they kind of both share their perspective. So it's really neat to see how they, how they feel about these things, but the fact that they, both of those women, they can live wild and free no matter what their personality wants them to, you know, to do. Um, for, for one of the women's jests, it's sometimes reeling it in. For the other woman, Haley, it's sometimes putting yourself out there. So this first quote, it says, We can only imagine what it would be like to feel safe and wild all at once. When our current reality leaves us feeling anything but. You know, in the in-between verses, I'm not going to share the, you know, read the whole story in Genesis of this. But 
in short, you know, Eve chooses the forbidden fruit, the one tree in the garden that she can't have because it looks amazing. It looks enticing. She thinks it's going to fix everything. And she shares it with her husband, who was present at the time. It says that, you know, Adam bore witness to these events. And tonight we're really focusing on the effect of her choice rather than the moment of her choice. But it is really important and significant that it was her, you know, that it was the first man and woman, because that means there was no human ever without sin. You know, it could have been anyone. It could have been the next person, or it could have been Cain that killed Abel, and that was the first sin. But it was, it's really important that it shows our humanity, because there was never a person on this earth besides Jesus Christ that walked without sin, ever. So, so it should bring you some relief tonight, too, but it should also show that this is the course of human history, that if you were the one in the garden, it could have been you. You know, if, it, if I wasn't the one in the garden, it probably would have been me. So it could have been any of us. Um, so there's always that, you know, it's probably the first and the greatest whodunit. What came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, is, is, was it Adam's sin? Was it Eve's sin? And it does refer a lot of times to the sin of Adam. There's a lot of theories about why that is, why when we feel like sometimes Eve made the choice, why it says that it was Adam's choice. Um, there's a lot of theories about that. One of them is that it's, a, it's parallelism, so it's showing that one man, through one man, sin was brought into the world, and through one man, that um, we would be cleansed from sin. So that's the parallel between Adam and Jesus. And then there's another theory that is, talks about Adam as the head of the household. So he was there. He bore witness to it. So why didn't he stand up for Eve? Why didn't he say, why, stop talking to my wife. Stop bothering us. Like, we don't want anything to do with you. You're nasty. Like, go away. We don't want your fruit. Like, we want to eat from the good fruit, so leave us alone. But we wonder, why didn't, why didn't he? Why didn't he lead his wife in that moment? So there's... There's a lot of questions and theories and things we probably will never know. We could, I've read for hours online about, not hours, I'm online, I have a child. I read for like an hour online about the different, you know, the back and forth of was Adam's sin, was Eve's sin, but it, it doesn't, really down to it, they both sinned. You know, they both sinned and we're here where we're at and we would have gotten to this place no matter what. So this next part talks about um, Eve becoming the mother to all. It's Genesis 3.20, and it refers to them as the man and the woman at first, kind of, and it really talks, speaks more of Adam's name, and then later on, he names Eve, and we don't know if this is chronological or if this is just how the, the Bible is written, if, this, if she had a name before, because it doesn't seem like her being the mother of all living would be a consequence of her sin, but at the same time, a woman, as, a, as you know, when he called her woman, he saw her as the helpmate. You know, she was just woman. She was the helpmate. But when she became Eve, her identity changed. Her role switched. You know, she was the mother of all the living. So we don't know if in Adam's mind something switched in him and her identity changed so her name became Eve. Um, there's so many theories on that too. But the next part is um, the choosing of the trees is what I like to call it. It's in Genesis 3.22. It says, And the Lord said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand to take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So if this were one of Aesop's fable, it might be called the tale of two trees, even though there were many trees in the garden. There were so many trees that were desirable to them, but this one had what they wanted. So Satan pointed out to her, to Eve, to Adam, the one thing that they knew would sever connection, would sever ties with their creator. He pointed out the one thing on all the earth that they couldn't have. And isn't that true of our lives sometimes? That God, that the, not God, that the enemy points out 
the one thing in our life that could really truly pull us away from the church, that could really pull us away from a relationship with God, that could sever a connection, that could sever something in our mind that keeps us connected to the creator, and he will use that thing. He will use that insecurity, and he will pull you from your destiny slowly and slowly. You won't even realize it's happening sometimes. He will pinpoint that one thing in your life. So we wonder, you know, it says you can't eat from the tree of life and eat um, from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and live forever. So we wonder, too, is this a grace shown by God? He knew that in this life we would struggle. We would toil with the earth. We would um, have pains in childbirth. We would have anxiety. We would have trouble. And he didn't intend for that to be forever. He didn't intend for humans to be immoral and live forever in this like sense of like purgatory of forever toiling and forever troubling, that there's a heaven now, yes, that has access to blessings, but there's a heaven forever. Those two are, you know, they're not the same, they're separated. So I think that's important to see that maybe it's, yes, it's about the consequence of sin, but I think it's also about, shows the grace of God. That, yes, there's consequences to our sin, but he's also going to come in and he's going to sweep us away with grace. That there's, there's a balance to those things, and only God knows the balance of those things, but there's both. That God is grace and he's, um, and he's power. So this next quote is from the same book, Wild and Free, by Jess. And it says, For Eve, the wild identity she was able to run with was short-lived. It was the very questioning of the power of her identity that ultimately led to her downfall. And as women today, as people today, it seems we're still there, born into the tension of the culture war created by Eve. So Eve... She sought to control, and she masked it as wisdom. She sought to get more information, and she masked it as wisdom. She sought to be able to be the one in control of her life, in control of her identity. She needed more, and she said she really just wanted wisdom. And those are two very different things, aren't they? Control and wisdom. So they had everything they could ever need, Adam and Eve. They lived in this paradise but we can live in essentially, some people look at our lives and it's paradise to them, but it's never enough to us. There's always something else. There's always a new organizational thing out that will change how we do run our lives. There's always a new calendar out that will make our life organized. There's always ways that just tempt us, that pull us. We could be sitting on a beach in Hawaii and thinking of how it could be better. Oh, it would be so much better right now if I had a strawberry daiquiri. Like, there's just, always we always need more in this life, which is is our humanity. It's just how we process and how we live. And um, so these, these two people, they fought to understand their identity. The enemy came and whispered lies and discouragement in the place that they were the most weak. And this fight for power and control and identity has been going on since the beginning of time. You know, our problem, this quote is this from the same book, it says, our problem isn't one caused by our mothers or the mothers that came before them. It's a tension of biblical proportions exacerbated by the enemy of our creator. The truth remains that we were brought forth in the midst of a battle regarding our purpose, our worth, and our assumed role in this life. So time and time we come back to this realization that is it, is it more important to know? Is it more important to be in that season? Is it more important to have what we think we need? Or is it more important to be in relationship with the creator of the universe? You know, what's more important to us? Is not knowing with God better than knowing all these things outside of his grace, outside of his covering? You know, would we rather be 100% sure and live without him? Or would we rather 
have some unknowns in our life, and live under the presence and the grace of God. You know, for women specifically, the fall from grace, it causes us to be in pain um, and anxiety in two very different ways. And these are pains you don't have to be in a season of motherhood to understand. I'm going to share them with you tonight. It says, um, this, what I'm going to share from is, uh, the root of it is from the verse Genesis 3.16. And it says, I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. With pain you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Which I don't think is a, like a knock on her, like your husband will rule over you. That was how it was supposed to be from the beginning of time. I think maybe it's even just a reminder. Your husband is, listen to your husband. Um, so it's interesting, there's a physical pain, I think, that comes obviously with labor and delivery and birth, and um, there's also an emptiness and a longing that can be a really, truly physical pain that comes when um, you're entering a season of motherhood or you're coming out of a season of just having a baby, postpartum depression. There's physical things that happen in your body when you're longing for a child or you've just had a child, you know, in those seasons there's physical pain. It's, it's real for us. And do you ever think of Eve's decision and just find yourself being angry at her? Being like, if Eve wouldn't have done this and this wouldn't be happening. I'm sure any of you that have experienced labor, especially labor naturally, at some point thought in your mind some colorful phrases or words along with Eve in there and just thinking, oh, if she could have just been stronger, if she could have just listened to God's voice, if she could have just not taken that fruit and had some self-control, but we know that we make Eve decisions every day. You know, we make decisions like she made every day, and we realize every time that the fruit never tastes as good as we think it was going to, and never brings the fulfillment that we thought it was going to bring. You know, we, <laughs> I think about like little, little, like not sins, but little things that I excuse in my life, like if I want if I see like a Ghirardelli, there's many like little chocolate ones with a caramel in them and you pull them apart and they're all gooey and you're like, oh, it's just a mini though. Like I probably walked enough calories to like burn that off. It's just, it's just a mini. Like I- I'll be fine. We find, it's so easy to find reasons to compromise. You don't have to look to find reasons to compromise. They're in your face all the time. It's easy to do that. You know, even like retail therapy, like seriously can bring relief. Like walking the clearance aisles of Target with no timeline is serious, like, relief for my soul. Like, I need that every now and then. Not the Target Buyer House. It's not a good Target. It makes me sad. That's all I have to say about that Target. (laughs) But, um, you know, the enemy in our own thoughts and our own inclination to to compare to other people, to what other people have on social media, all these Instagram accounts for these beautiful houses, and it's all put together, and the women look put together, and they're wearing high heels, and they're carrying a baby, and they're pregnant. You're like, I almost wore heels on the stage tonight, and I changed my mind because that is not my life, because I don't want to wear heels when I can be comfortable in sandals. Like, you see these people where you're just like, how are they doing this? Like, they have to go into a bathroom and just cry or something because they're in pain because of these high heels. Like, they cannot be happy right now. But anyways. So, you know, we, we think, you know, if we get enough, if we are enough, if we, if we can somehow fill the space, you know, we grab those, ty- those pieces of fruit all the time. It's like the, that TJ Maxx, that aisle, where it's like the last aisle before the checkout. And there's, like, nail polishes and, uh, like, coffee mugs and all this cool stuff, and you're like, oh, what's $3.99? What's, oh, this SE Pasta is $8.99 at Target. And we just throw all this little stuff in our cart thinking it's going to fill some kind of void, and it never does. But we just keep on doing it. 
So it comes back to that same truth. Not knowing or not having what we feel like we want with God is better than knowing all those things or having them without him. So there's also the second kind of pain is an emotional pain. So the Hebrew word for pain, it actually um, equates to, it's defined by agony, hardship, worry, or anxiety. So the fact that it speaks to anxiety and worry is really telling um, because childbearing in many, in many Bibles in Hebrew, it actually means conception. So you think, well, that's the fun part. Like, that doesn't seem like the hard, that's the fun part. So in layman's terms, you know, if we were to, to write our version of Genesis 3.16, it might better read, I will greatly increase the anguish you will experience in the birth process from the anxiety surrounding conception to the strenuous work of giving birth. You know, the curse, it speaks to anxiety and a worry that a woman will experience from conception to birth, whether she will be able to conceive, anxiety from physical, dis- physical discomfort. I know some of you that have been overdue in your pregnancies, like the pregnancy glow is over. Get this baby out of me. I'm 40 however weeks. I can't see my feet. We need to go to the hospital now. Like, whatever we need to do, you know, there's anxiety over the health of the child that you're carrying. Is this child going to have a disability that will make them look different, make them feel different, make people mean to them? You know, there's anxiety of that. There's anxiety over the birthing process. Um, there's an anxiety about spending years trying to get pregnant and not being able to. You know, even today with far superior medicine than we used to have, Um, anxiety, it fights to define the childbearing process. It fights to define the mothering process. Anxiety fights to define the process to become a mother. And it fights to define every new and different season of motherhood. Every season of motherhood, anxiety fights to define that season. And we have to make a choice that we're not going to live that way. You know, we were created to be wild, unhindered, and hopeful. All of those things under our creator. But because of the fall, all those things come under attack. So I just want to share with you about living in the messy middle. How can we live in the messy middle and still be unhindered, still be wild, still have hope and faith? You know, there's a quote by it's Donna Pisani that wrote this book, The Power of Not Yet. It says, the middle is the hardest place to exist because we can't write on the calendar the exact date and the time when this season's going to be over or when the everlasting feeling of being stuck in the not yet zone will go away. Our fears try to hold us back and define us, but we must remember that fear is a loud liar. You know, there will be times when we feel grief and doubt and guilt, but how do we get to a place where we're okay with not knowing, with not having, with not being those things we want in that season? So I'm going to share three steps to you that have helped me in my life to living a wild, unhindered, and hopeful life in the season of the not yet, of the messy middle. And yes, I stepped in a season of motherhood, which has been a dream of my heart, but I'm also in the season of chronic pain, where I'm looking at having another surgery, and that is not, that is messy for me. That is not my hope. That was not my plan to have a two-year-old and have a brain and spinal surgery. That's my messy middle right now. There's always a messy middle in every season of life. We may be content for a week, and there's a new messy middle. There's always a messy middle in our lives. So the first step and the first point I want to share with you is how to be unhindered. And I think a huge part of that is understanding that less is more. That his love and presence, um, this quote is by Jessigan from Wild and Free. Obviously, I relate a little more to her in the book. Um, it says, she's, she's the outgoing one. So it says, his love and presence are no longer what spices our life and make our world sweet. So we gather, we buy, we collect, we curate, we wish list, we make Pinterest boards, we add things to our life and to our rhythm. 
and the belief that one day it will be enough. So have you guys ever heard of the idea of minimalism, of like paring everything down? Has anyone actually tried to like live that life of minimalism? The hoys? I mean, you guys live like you've pared down your diet. You've done more simple things. Yeah, I mean, I've tried it, and I, I like stuff too much. I just, I just do. So there's this idea of a capsule closet. So have you guys ever heard of that capsule closet? So basically, it's like, I think it's 21 items. I may be getting that wrong. It's either 21 or 11. And it's everything in your closet, including your shoes, your purse, your, um, your pants, everything. I hope it's not undergarments, because some of you guys are already, men are already turning your underwear inside out too many times. You've got to stop doing that. Wash your drawers. <laughs> so this, this lady, Jess, you know, she tries to do it. She said, but then she says, I like having too many things. And I love constantly adding things. I wouldn't say I'm an avid shopper, but the last thing I wanted taken away from me was my freedom to snag an $11 shirt on clearance at Target when I pop in and buy diapers, which is how I feel too. You know, and she realized that she just kept adding things. So she was trying to get these perfect 21 items, and she just kept adding because if it was going to be only 21, it had to be perfect. So, you know, is minimalism, we question, is that our, our culture's attempt to live a life that's unhindered again? Um, I think we welcome to the distraction of things because they keep us from facing our brokenness. They keep us from facing ourselves, our worries, and our anxiety. But the whole idea of the Beatitudes is that less is more. Less of us makes more room for God. So as we're trying to fill this space with more of us, with more stuff, with more things that make us current or feel good about ourselves, all the while God is saying, more of me, just empty yourself out so, so that you can have more of me and more room in your life. So this verse is from Matthew 5, 5, and it says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more and no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. And I want to tell you tonight that it's possible to find a way to be content in every season, every season of your life. I've been through a lot of hard seasons in the last couple years, and maybe they don't look like your hard seasons. They probably don't. They're probably very different. But there is a way, because we're connected with the creator of the universe, to find joy, to find contentment in every season. So the second thing I want to share with you is about how to be hopeful. And it's, I believe, an important part of this is learning to communicate your fears, your anxiety, your being honest with yourself about your anxiety and your disappointment. And this quote, it says, most of us talk and process and digest with others far more than we turn our face to the Father and tell him what's going on. You know, there's a way to digest with others that's life-giving, and there's a way to digest with others that's life-draining. And there's a very big difference between those two. There's a way that leaves you feeling pointed to God, pointed to the cross, pointed back to, to the Savior. And there's a way that makes you feel justified. It makes you feel like you got it off your chest and you deserve better. Those are very different things. So what I want to share with you about that is to find people in your life who communicate hope and don't just commiserate. You know, there, yes, there's times where you just need to vent, and you just need to get off your chest, and you just need your friend to say, yeah, you know what, you're right. But then there's other times where you need to say, someone needs to say to you, you have a bad attitude about this. Like, you, you need your heart, you need to get before God. Your heart needs to get in check. And um, it's hard to find that balance. And there's a quote by um, my husband, Justin, that he often says it's, we, re- we replace community with networks. Social media can't be our venting place, you know, Facebook and all these places that we vent, and I just want to ask you, 
Have you gone to the Father? Have you gone to the feet of the cross before you post those things, before you get those things off your chest? Because I believe that about 75% of the time, maybe more, we probably wouldn't even need Facebook to, to, to validate us if we would just go and sit before God and listen to what he has to say about us. And I'm not saying that in a place that I'm judging because I've been there too. You know, I've, I've done that so many times. Um, the second part of this is, you, you digest with others, and yes, that can be healthy, but turn your face to the Father. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, it says, Come unto me, all that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So this third point that I want to, to share with you is about how to be wild. And I think to live wildly, to have wild faith, to have wild expectations and wild hope, you have to come to a place of acceptance. A place of acceptance that there will always be lack in this life, that you will never be there. You never will have arrived. Um, you'll never have enough. You know, we, I think, sometimes can think about ourselves as men and women that we're never enough in some areas of our lives, and we're always too much in other areas. We're not um, proactive enough, but we have some, too much of an opinion. Like, we have these things in our, we're always too much of this, and we're never enough of this, and we feel like somehow that makes us not a good person or not a person that other people want to be friends with or be around. And, and that's just not the truth. That's not God's word. It's not what he says about us. And, yes, there's things we need to adjust about our lives and our character, but this quote by Rabbi Zacharias, it says, Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. You know, God is constantly working in us. And when we have those thoughts, you're never enough. You're always too much. Why can't you just be somewhere in the middle? That is the enemy trying to get us in back into the messy middle in the place where we feel like we're, we're never enough. We're never enough or we're, we're always too much. You know, Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we don't see. And God cares far more that you're transformed than he cares that you're informed. He cares far more that you, um, your heart is being worked on than he cares about you knowing the next step of the process. You know, when you're driving in GPS, I like to see all the steps. I like to see, like, what's next and what's the next chart. What am I going to be taking a left or a right? Because that depends on the lane I'm going to get into. But faith is about not knowing those next steps. You know, faith doesn't mean you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you know you know, every detail of your future, it means doing the right thing. It means having character in the times when your flesh is still figuring it out. So if you can accept that, I, I truly believe that we can learn to live a, a wild faith in this season of not yet, in the messy middles of our lives. And like I said before, God cares more that we're transformed than he cares that we're informed about the next steps because he knows the next steps are going to be good. He knows the next steps are going to be perfect, but it is so hard to see that when you're in the middle of it. So I want to encourage you about something that I struggled with right before we left for the adoption. And it's not something I struggled with previously to that. And it's um, that my son would be taken from everything he ever knew. That there would be moments when we were in India that he would be scared. That he would want somebody but not necessarily want me. That we were taking him from all of his moms and his brothers and sisters and man, that hurt my heart. And I knew in those moments that I had to just remind myself of what was God was calling me to, that this was the right thing. And a friend in my life that's adopted um, previously, she, she said to me, she said, God knows your insecurities. He knows your lack. He knows your potential to screw this up, but he chose you anyways. 
And I want to say that to you guys tonight, that God knows your abilities, he knows your lack, he knows your potential to fail, but he chose you anyways. So in those moments where you feel like a failure of a mother, where you feel like you don't have it all together, where you feel like, why did God give me this child to raise because he's so different from me and I don't know how to do this, that God is saying to you, God chose me. God chose me. Whatever season of life you're in that you're doubting yourself, just remind yourself of that. And if I can have just Rich um, come up and play keys tonight, I want to just wrap this up by encouraging you with some scripture that encouraged me, and I think it's going to encourage you. It starts in Romans 8. It's verses 1 through 4. It's the message version. It says, with the arrival of Jesus, the Messiah, that fateful dilemma is resolved. Those who enter into Christ's being here for us no longer have to live under a continuous, low-lying black cloud. And I think that's true of some of us in here. We feel like there's this black cloud following us, and it won't go away. We don't have to live like that. A new power is in operation. The spirit of life in Christ, like a strong wind, has magnificently cleared the air freeing you from a faded life of brutal tyranny at the hands of sin and death. God went for the jugular when he sent his own son. He didn't deal with the problem as something remote and unimportant. In his son, Jesus, he personally took on the human condition. He came into the disordered mess of struggling humanity in order to set it right once and for all. The law code, or the, just the law, weakened as it always was by fractured human nature, could never have done that. The law always ended up being used as a band-aid on sin instead of deep healing. And now what the law code asked for, but we couldn't deliver, is accomplished as we, instead of redoubling our own efforts, simply embrace what the Spirit is doing in us. You know, even when we go on our own path, even when we, we're in a season where we don't trust, where we feel like our faith is not enough, and I just want to tell you that if you feel like your faith is not enough, if you're, talking to the, if you're talking to your father, if you're talking to the creator of the universe, if you're seeking him and reaching out to him, then that's your faith. I think for some of us, we feel like this faith is this big leap or this big step we have to make. If you're in connection with God and you're going to him first and asking him for help, that's faith. That's faith that God is going to work it out no matter what. So if you feel like your faith is small here tonight, know that your faith is big if you're in connection with, with the Creator. You know, I love that with Eve, there's this tragedy that happens when sin enters the world. You know, and she has Cain and Abel, and Cain means spear or possessed, and Abel means breath or son or breathing spirit. And names, they, they held weight, significance, you know, in those times. And, you know, Cain took... Abel's life. I hope I got that right. <laughs> but he, he took his life and it's, you know, his name means breath and son and breathing spirit. And that was taken from her. But then later on, they have so many sons and daughters and they live for way more years than I ever want to live. But Seth comes along and Seth means anointed and compensation. And that is Jesus in our lives. And God has a Seth moment. God has a Seth season for each and every one of you guys. He has compensation, not just on the cross, but in the season that you're in right now. He has compensation and he has a way that he's gonna bless you that's gonna blow you away. That's gonna make you look back at the season that you're in and wonder why you doubted and wonder why you had fear. And it is so hard to see that in the messy middle.
But during those in-betweens and the unknowns and the uncertainties, we learn that not knowing the next step is much better than knowing it without God. I want to read this quote to you, and then I just want to pray for you guys. It's a quote by Bob Goff. It says, Embrace uncertainty. Some of the most beautiful chapters in our lives won't have titles until much later. So if you're in one of those seasons tonight, if you're in one of those seasons where you feel like, I really would like to know the title of this chapter because this doesn't even look like it could all fit together. This looks like a mess, and I feel messy in the middle of all of this. I just want to pray for you guys. So let's just close our eyes. And if you feel like that's you, if you're in the season of the messy middle, of the unknowns, of wanting to know the next step, of, of a season of not yet, if you would just raise your hand tonight, I just want to pray over each one of you. Jesus. God, we just pray that you would come and you would meet us right where we're at. God, that in the mess and in the tears and in the mascara runs and in the ugly cries, God, and in the moments where we hide in the bathroom and the moments where we sit in our cars after work as men and feel like a disappointment, in the moments where we look at our child and we don't feel connection, when we look at our spouse and we feel far away, God, that you're there in those messy middle moments and you're making something beautiful of it. So we ask, God, that we continue to be connected to your heart, no matter where we're feeling, no matter how we're feeling in this moment, in this season, God, that you would remind us that you're never gonna take our forever, you're never gonna take forever away with you because we didn't trust in one season, we didn't trust in one moment. God, that you would take the fear away of disappointment and regret and confusion. And God, we ask that you would just meet us right here in this moment and that you would come in those spaces in our hearts that feel empty, like a black cloud is just hanging over and we can't see a way that it's gonna clear. God, that you would come and you would bring relief, that you would sweep through this place like a fresh wind. And God, those things would lift off of our hearts and minds. God, and we would wake up tomorrow feeling different, feeling better, feeling more free, feeling more wild and unhindered. And opportunities would come that we can just choose to be hopeful. So we thank you, God, for your presence tonight. God, we thank you that you know we're gonna be messy sometimes, but you see all those things and you've written all of our days in each of our books, God, that you're not surprised by our mistakes, you're not surprised by insecurities, you're not surprised by our potential to fail. God, but you're calling us to transformation and growth and calling us deeper to love. We worship you, in Jesus' name, amen. We just want to thank you again for being here tonight. And I just hope that each of us, man or woman, we can leave here tonight just embracing a wild and unhindered and a hopeful life, knowing that we can do that no matter what season we're in. We're excited you're here, and we're excited that you took the opportunity to come here and spend time with us tonight. And we hope that you do that again next week. So we just want to say welcome again and good night, and we'll see you next week. Love you guys.